1: Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host Anthony Pagnato with you as always, and today Josh Marlowe is back. And guys, it is officially the final preseason edition of the podcast that we will record. Not that you guys will hear. This one will actually come out before the one that we recorded a couple of days ago. So I am going to have to do some editing on that previous edition of the pod because we did have to add a storyline onto the front of this one. But we are that close to the start of the season. That was pretty much where I was trying to get it to. Uh, this, you know, around this time next week, we will be previewing Carolina's first game of the regular season in 2022. Um, and it, it just feels great because in all honesty, I think at this point, we all just want to officially put 2021 behind us and focus on this upcoming season. All the talk will finally be over. And hopefully by the time that we record next week, we will have a quarterback to talk about. Uh, Mac Brown met with the media today. I'm going to go through um, and sort of, uh, you know, break down some of that stuff later on this evening and tomorrow. Um, but from all indications, it doesn't seem like he really hinted at anything major going on with that position, but uh, it feels like we are getting closer and closer. Everything that uh, we've been, you know, hearing, uh, all the rumors that are floating out are still that they're looking to get down to that first quarterback. So we are about a week away from doing that. Um, And we, we are excited about uh, what lies ahead for Carolina football, you know, even after week zero throughout the rest of the regular season. And we're going to have you covered uh, on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Make sure you head there and uh, check out all the stuff. But today, it is time to get bold. The bold predictions with some of last year, probably the worst take I have ever had when it comes to Tar Heel football. That this was going to be a top 25 defense. I will tell you that that is not one of my bold predictions this year. Um, I think, honestly, this year would have been a better bold prediction with Gene Chizik as the defensive coordinator than Jay Bateman last year. But... Um that is not on my list but we are going to throw out five bold predictions each one of us and uh, we will go ahead and sort of break down our reasoning behind those um you know this is this is always one of the ones that's a little more interesting um you know the breakout candidates is all they're always fun the thing with those is that there usually are about two or three of those that are pretty that, that are similar When we compare those lists with these, it's really all over the map. So it's going to be pretty much five different takes from us. uh, And we are going to make our cases for why we believe those are going to happen. But first, as I mentioned, the reason that we are having to sort of rearrange this and put this podcast out before the one that we recorded uh, just a few days ago is there was some breaking news uh, that came down over the weekend, came out Saturday night after Carolina's practice in front of the students. It was an open practice for the students that were returning to campus. Uh, Mostly they were trying to get the freshmen out there to sort of experience that uh, during their move-in weekend. Um, And unfortunately, Carolina got the news that they will now be without starting running back British Brooks for the entire season. He suffered a lower body injury and had to be taken off the field on a cart um, and then later on that evening, they did confirm the news that it is going to cost him the entire 2022 season. And first of all, I think the biggest thing that we've got to focus on with this before we really talk about the on the field impact is this really this is an injury that I think just should was a punch to the gut for a lot of Tar Heel fans because this was a guy that had fought his way into being a starting running back on this team. He did some really good things for you last year, especially in the game against state, especially in the bowl game against South Carolina. And you felt like maybe this was setting up for him to be a key contributor for you, at least out of the gate to begin the season. A guy that had worked his way up from walk-on, something that we had seen, you know, a few times under Larry Fedora and some guys that we really grew to have, you know, pretty good connections with, with Matt Collins. With Cole Holcomb. So this one, I mean, when I saw this news come down the other night, that was immediately the first thing that I thought of.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really gut-punching for him individually. Um, And, I mean, it it does hurt the team in a lot of different ways as well. But I I do think in a lot of ways, as much as you're going to miss that leadership, this could have been a blessing in disguise for this running back room. Because the four guys that are behind him are better football players. They, they they have more talent, they're more gifted, um, especially the, the two incoming freshmen. And, you know, we we were entering the season needing to have some sort of an answer out of that running back rotation. Well, this injury kind of forces their hand even more so to find those three guys that they can trust to rotate in and out and carry the football for for Carolina this season. And yeah, and and so I think it's gonna be interesting to see how they handle it. Um, I do think both true freshmen. I think their roles are going to be a lot lower, a lot more bigger at the beginning of the season. Now with this injury, which I don't think is necessarily going to be a bad thing, because they are just they're just more naturally gifted players. But you know, it it does suck because he came back with that extra COVID year to to have a chance to be a starter, and he's done some things for you in the past individually while the team didn't have a lot of success. But I I, I do think if this offense has gelled early, and, and especially in that running game has gelled early. I do think this could be a reason why, because this forced their hand to find the, the two or three guys they trust to rotate on a on a consistent basis, and we'll just have to see how they monitor it
1: moving forward. I, I agree with you in terms of general talent. Um, That was something that when the report came out initially, that was – part of where my brain went when it came to what is the impact on the team. I think if you just look at the overall talent of this group, you're not really all that concerned because, I mean, look, he was a guy that was a former walk-on. He was a guy that, you know, early on last year, you weren't projecting to be a significant part of your running back room. He just broke out at the end of the season, and you were like, okay, well, we've got this guy as someone that can – that – could potentially start for us because he's put in the work. But we've also still got all these guys that we recruited, that we we had on scholarship from the beginning, that are here and are ready to play. And then you talked about it. You bring in the two true freshmen. It'll be really interesting to see now if their roles are pretty much you know one of those three running backs that Carolina wants to use early on in the season. Um, And I think it's very possible that they could be in those roles starting the year out, especially now. And, uh, you know, I saw something today, and, I, again, I have to go back and listen to uh, Mac Brown's presser, but I saw someone say today that he had talked about the fact that Caleb Hood is dealing with injuries, dealing with a lower body injury, and that's kept him on and off the field uh, for the majority of fall camp. So he's still dealing with injury issues. So really, if that is actually the case, then Carolina is pretty much rolling with four running backs heading into the season, two of them true freshmen. So one of them, if not both of them, and with the way that they've been showing out apparently in camp, it's probably going to be both of them will be playing significant roles. Now, here's where the concern for me starts to lie when it comes to this injury. The leadership, the, the, the veteran experience, that's the concern that you have to have. Carolina has not had success on the road under Mac Brown since he's returned to Chapel Hill. They have struggled on the road. There is no denying that, um, especially, you know, the last two seasons. They've had their issues, primarily last year. But this is one that you you thought going into this year on the offensive side of the ball, even though you didn't have your starting quarterback known, you know, until maybe a week beforehand, you would have – some experience at those skill positions outside of just Josh Downs well now that is no longer the case i think the 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 problem that you're running into now is that you don't have british brooks in that in in you know the first or the entire season and you don't have antoine green for the first 3 4 weeks of the season at the least that could be longer than that so the concern is going into that game on the road in Week One, against App State, is this going to be a group that's going to be ready for that environment on the offensive side of the ball? If you're having to play so many young position, skill position players.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's going to be something that will definitely impact this. But if if Carolina's season is made or broken off of the injury of British Brooks, a former walk on
1: player. You've got bigger issues in your program. I mean, I'm not saying it's made or broken, but I'm saying that it's you got to acknowledge that not having that leadership and that experience is going to be tough, especially because I'd rather have more talent on the field. But the, I mean, here's the thing we've seen that talent doesn't always equal success, neither does leadership. So, I mean, you would feel like the leaders that they had on this team were built to put this team in a better position to win i think the experience is more of the concern the leadership factor i mean maybe as you go along throughout the season but he's still going to be around the team the experience factor of having guys that are pretty much going to be coming straight out of high school playing significant pretty much the entire game more than likely at those positions unless one of the other two running backs steps up so dj jones is going to have to step up and play a big role or elijah green having them go on the road to what some people think might be one of the best if not the best group of five environment this year. I mean that is a lot to ask especially as you've talked about with the fact that they do not know who their starting quarterback is as of right now.
0: Yeah, but I mean look, you you want to recruit big time, you got to expect stuff out of out of the types of the guys you recruited and the the these guys are, you know, if if they're being compared to a, a, a tandem that could mirror a, a Javante Williams and a Michael Carter, they may have to show it sooner than what they, we anticipated. But this is what they signed up for, so it'll be it'll be up to the coaching staff to really put those guys in a position to be successful. It's going to be really imperative of Phil Longo to to really figure out what works and what doesn't work. And you got to hope whoever that quarterback is, where, where I'm hoping and, and I'm going to assume it's going to be Drake May that they just – they they put those guys in a position to be to be successful and we're, we're constantly moving the chains. We're not having to play behind the chains and stuff like that. So, I mean, look, it sucks, but this is a guy who started, what, like three career games? Like, I mean – Yep, it, all, all, well it, – It's not like you're missing a guy who started for three years. And if, if we look back on and we say this injury was what negatively impacted our season – then Mac Brown's got bigger issues in his program than,
1: than, than that. I mean, but you can't discount the work that British Brooks has put in. I mean, I mentioned two guys earlier that are, you know, were big parts of the Larry Fedora era and the success that he had in Chapel Hill, especially, you know, that 2015 and early part of that 2016 season. Primarily Mac Hollins, because once he got injured, that was really what turned the tides for Carolina in that season. But, I mean, you're talking about Cole Holcomb and Mac Hollins, who are both still in the NFL and both guys that are starters at the NFL level, especially Cole Holcomb. Um, so, I mean, the, four, the the walk-on title really doesn't mean anything. If you're a guy that puts in the work and, I mean, what he showed at the end of last year – Justified him getting a starting role on this team. I mean, especially you know we were on here complaining last year after the bowl game um, that he didn't get enough carries in that game because he had a couple of big plays early and then you didn't really hear from him. So I just you cannot discount what this guy brings to the table, and you know I think it's going to be it's going to be a tough ask now of that offense that is going to be extremely young and inexperienced. I mean, pretty much you're back to what you were at last year. If I mean, even then, you had a guy in Ty Chandler that was a grad transfer coming in. You're talking about pretty much Josh Downs, a little bit of experience from DJ Jones, and that's pretty much it out of your skill position players. So it's going to be, to me, you know, for Carolina to have success still running the ball, your offensive line has to play great, and I think this defense is going to have to they they better look good in that game against app state that better be one of those games where app you know first game for app state you better be able to hold them probably under 20 points or you're not winning that game i think that's probably the situation that you're staring down now so we'll have to see um but You know, look, we'll we'll tackle that beast when it comes. Carolina's still got that home opener on the season opener against Florida A&M on August 27th. Um, So, of course, uh, we will be preparing you guys for that and keeping you up to date on everything that's going on uh, for Carolina, including at that running back position. Football fans, join the next generation of fantasy football with Rainmakers Football. Their first ever NFT fantasy game from DraftKings. It's the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. Now, you can play all season for millions in prizes by building the ultimate NFT franchise. Right now, everyone can get their first full roster starter pack for free. Playing Rainmakers is simple. Buy, sell, bid, and win player card NFTs of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions on DraftKings Marketplace. Craft lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, and more, just like daily fantasy football. Build your NFT franchise and enter free Rainmakers football contest all season long to compete for millions in prizes. The next generation of fantasy sports is here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now. Sign up with the promo code TPPN, click the Rainmakers tile, and opt in to get your first card free. Plus, play for millions in prizes all season long while building the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers football. That's promo code TPPN. Build, play, win. Only at DraftKings. Contest entries dependent on type and number of NFTs held. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. But Let's move into our bold predictions for the season. And as I mentioned, each one of us wrote down five bold predictions that we have for this upcoming season and uh, we're going to alternate with these. So last time, or, or as you'll hear coming up, uh, when we put out the breakout candidates, uh, we went, you know, kind of one through f- or five through one, one through five, whatever for each of us. Um, this time, we're going to kind of alternate back and forth with some of our takes because um, none of them are really the same. Um, so I think that, you know, it'll it'll work pretty well. Um, so why don't you uh, actually, I'll, I'll start us off here because the one, the fourth one that you have, I think would be good to follow what I have for my fourth one. Um, so I'll start off. I think the, I think Carolina's defense forces 15 intercept, 15 plus interceptions this season. Um, one of the reasons why is last year, believe it or not, that group forced 12 interceptions a year ago. And that was a team that, look, it was kind of hit and miss, and we've talked about it so much. One of the things that this defense has to find this year across the board is consistency, and that goes along with turnovers. If you go back to what made that defense so successful back in 2015 and allowed them to turn it around so quickly, it was that they were able to force turnovers, primarily interceptions. I think this group has the talent to do it, I think Tony Grimes is a guy that's more than capable of being that lockdown corner that you need him to be on the outside. Um, I think that, you know, you've got Storm Duck if he can stay healthy, and you've got guys across the board uh, that have the ability to take away the football. As much as he struggled last year, Cameron Kelly did have four interceptions for this team a year ago. So I think this, I'm not saying this is a key for Carolina's defense to take a significant step forward I think if they can create you know, turnovers even through just fumbles, it would be fine. But I think that this defense can get to that 15 or possibly even more interception number this year in the first year under Gene Chizik and Charlton Warren.
0: If so, they'll need to have teams throwing on them a lot in the second half. And then the last time Chizik was here, didn't that defense record, was it one interception in his second season? Yeah, twenty
1: sixteen. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't create <laughs> so look, uh, a bunch of turnovers. We're gonna need the twenty fifteen
0: so. version, not the twenty sixteen version. But I do think it is achievable if you have an improved pass rush and your your cornerbacks prove that they they could also play wide receiver a little bit more than the, than than opposed to having to just play corner. My first one, um, I, I kind of hinted at this when we did our breakout players, which one of mine was Bryson Nesbitt. I predict, or one of my bold predictions, that he'll finish second on the team in receiving yards. But I, I didn't put a yardage total with it just because, like, right now, I, I you know, we just, you know, I don't think it'd be fair. I, I do think, though, he'll eclipse at least 500 receiving yards and somewhere north of 40 receptions. But I do think he'll be a guy that, because you can line him up all over the field, you can get him matched up with linebackers and stuff like that. I think he'll average ten yards a catch or so. So I think every time he touches the ball, mm-hmm. it'll be more in 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 that big play variety. So he may only have you know thirty five or forty catches, but I do think he'll have over five hundred yards. And I think you know it, it, he'll finish second on the team because there is going to be that safety valve you would imagine with Drake Mayer, Quiswell trying to find the, you know him in the in the, you know on 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 the secondary reads and stuff like that. Um, and this this has nothing to do with Antoine Green getting hurt. This was still going to be a bold prediction of mine regardless. I wow. just feel like this is something that it's time for this offense to evolve and take that next step. The next step is utilizing the tight ends you have on your roster. I think Phil Longa will do that, and I think Bryson Nesbitt going to have a big-time season for the Tar Heels this year.
1: I mean, look, it's not unheard of. I mean, Eric Ebron led the team in receiving. In 2013, his best season at Carolina where he had 973 yards receiving. And that was with a guy that is considered one of the all-time great receivers, if you just look at the numbers, in Quinshot Davis. So, I mean, it is it is possible. Um, I mean, look, it's not the craziest thing, especially with him probably playing a little bit on the outside early on in the season too. Not only just in the slot, they're going to pretty much need him to be a part of their receiving core until they can get Antoine Green back. I don't if, – if the injury to Antoine Green didn't happen, that would certainly be extremely bold because I – the one I have one later on who I think will be the second-leading receiver, and that is based on the fact that Antoine Green is hurt. I think if Antoine Green was here, what he showed last year, I think he'd probably be that guy. Um, I, I go to the offensive line from my next bowl prediction. I think this offensive line, now the problem is, is what do you use when it comes to grading this group out? But I think if you go back and look at the end of the season, um, I'll say really tackles for loss and sacks is how I would how I would phrase this. I think that Carolina will be inside of the top fifty in terms of tackles for loss allowed and sacks allowed. If you go back and look at the numbers under Jack Bicknell Jr., there there are, you know, some years where they were, you know, kind of middle of the road, but even last year, At Louisville, the numbers were really good in his first season there. So, this is a guy that knows how to turn it around quickly. I think Carolina's got the talent on this offensive line. I don't really, I don't think that was the issue for Carolina a year ago. I think the talent was there. I think that the injury, first of all, the injury issues that they had at center were a big part of the issue. I mean, you had a new voice there seemingly every week. And really the guy that you thought was going to be your starting center heading into the year, Brian Anderson, was pretty much banged up the entire year. He could never really get fully healthy. Well, this year, you've got a veteran guy coming in uh, that they think is, you know, clearly think is an upgrade over Brian Anderson and Corey Gaynor. And everything that we've heard is that's the truth. And he's going to anchor the unit with a more veteran a Sim Richards, a more veteran Ed Montillis, a more veteran... William Barnes, as well as some other guys that come in, another transfer in Spencer Rolland and the true freshman Zach Rice. So I think the talent is there for this unit. And I think with McNell in there, with the fact that, you know, we've heard from Mac Brown that some other guys have taken steps forward too, and that they are looking to cross-train guys to basically get the best five on the field. Something that I think last year wasn't necessarily the case. Mac Brown said it a couple of weeks ago that basically they had situations where they were allowed to use certain guys and there were other situations where they didn't they weren't allowed to use certain guys. I guess according to Stacy Searles, there were certain situations that they couldn't put guys into the game, which makes no sense to me. Um, that's not the approach that they're taking this year. So I think this group, I'm going to go bold and say they finished top 50 in both of those categories and really bounce back this year.
0: That would make the trench reports a lot more fun to write this season for sure. Those were gloomy last year. Uh, my second bold prediction, like, I'm predicting it, but I think this at this point it's an expectation. And honestly, it's a requirement is that does is that Dez Evans records double digit sacks
1: as a requirement that's a big jo- if he got I'm, I'm no, t- I if, would tell if, you if this if he doesn't record 10 sacks the hell is he doing I don't think he's going to record 10. if he got I would say this if he got to 7 and about 13 and a half 14 and a half tackles for loss I I could I could be okay with that I think the biggest thing also is how many snaps is he playing if they're rotating guys consistently, I don't think in, it
0: matters. You're a borderline five star talent. Like,
1: if you can't record less than a half a sack per game, I mean, you're you're talking about a guy that has not produced really anything. Which so is why, far. like this year, like for him, that's I, I'm just saying that's a significant jump. Like, like, like this I is predicted a year this where, last year. Like, this is so, a year where,
0: like, if he doesn't produce, you to probably force him out of the program. You go find somebody else. Because he's on the verge of being one of the biggest busts we've ever had, but I do feel like the scheme fits better for him. I think Gene no Chizik will know how to utilize him a lot better than Jay Bateman. And I mean, also his defensive line coach is probably going to be pretty, pretty, uh, you know, on the ups of coaching too, because I think we can all agree Tim Cross is coaching for his job, and and so I think like this mm-hmm. unit is in store for some big time things. It's not from a lack of talent where he hasn't produced. I think a lot of it was being put, you know. First, when he showed up, his body wasn't ready, and then last year, I think it was just a defensive coordinator who isn't a defensive is not a it's not a defensive coordinator at the P five level. I think now you've got all those things. You 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 you've upgraded your coaching staff. His body is at the best dispensers he got to Carolina. Now it's time to put up or shut up. Put up would be double digit sacks, and I do think he will achieve that this season.
1: Yeah, the biggest problem with Jay Bateman's system is that Jay Bateman decided— he, he tried to pull way too many stunts with him. He basically—and and, and not actual stunts either. We're up front. We're talking about we're dropping this guy into coverage as a guy that all he did in high school was put his hand in the dirt and rush the passer. It didn't really make any sense, and now it seems like from what everybody has been saying, including Dez himself— this is a system where he is going to basically go back to what he did in high school as a power end. He is going to put his hand in the dirt, and his goal is going to be to get after the quarterback and seal the edge on runs. That's pretty much, and that's, I think, the role that he needs to be in. I don't, again, I double-digit sacks, I don't think he has to get there. If you can get to about seven or eight, and, and the other thing is, go back and look at the numbers of Gene Chizik defenses from his time here. I think the thing is, for me, it's also the eye test with him. Even if the sack numbers aren't necessarily there, but you're putting pressure on the quarterback, you're forcing turnovers because of that pressure, whatever, then that's fine. If it's, hey, we're getting pressure and we're still not finishing tackles leading to big plays, that's still an issue. But I think it's also going to be a collective effort. It can't just be him. You need other guys as well to step up and be more consistent when it comes to getting after the quarterback. But uh, I think that's more than possible. I had that one last year, and that did not work out at all. I mean, he wasn't even a starter at the beginning of the year after he was raved about all offseason. Yet another thing that just left me scratching my head about Phil, uh, excuse me, not Phil Long. Uh, about Jay Bateman and what was going on with that defense. Um, I'll, move, I'll move back over to the offensive side of the ball for my third bowl prediction. Um, I think, and now this This one, I will preface this by saying when I wrote this out, this was on Friday before the injuries actually happened. So I actually am going to amend this just a little bit then, uh, as to what I have on the sheet. I think both George Petaway and Amari and Hampton finished the season with 500 or more yards this season. Um, I think these guys are now pretty much the door is open for these guys. And especially after hearing the rumor that I heard today, and again, it's not something that is confirmed just yet, um, but I, I am going to make sure that I check on that tonight. If Caleb Hood is still struggling through injuries, then as I mentioned, you are down to – DJ Jones, who, you know, has some experience, but not a ton of it, because he's been banged up the last couple of years. Elijah Green, who pretty much has no experience outside of garbage time reps that he's seen in a couple of FCS games. And two true freshmen that are, as you know, as you said earlier, being compared to Michael Carter and Javante Williams. And are, you know, that that comparison has come up here even more recently with how well they've played in the scrimmages. So I think both of these guys now really have a chance to reach that 500-yard mark. And look, go back to the freshman season of Michael Carter. Remember a year where he you know, he did some good things, but he wasn't exactly the guy that we thought he was going to be coming straight out of high school. He still ran for over 500 yards. I think it is more than possible that both of these guys get over 500
0: yards. Yeah, no, and I, I think now with the injury to British Brooks, I think you're kind of counting on them to both kind of get that plateau. Um, especially with this being an offense that, when it's at its best, has been able to run the football, and run the football that will. Uh, my third one, um, I kind of hinted at this last week too, or when we talked about breakout players, and I had Ra Ra Dilworth on mine. I have him and Power Eccles both earning All ACC honors. So first team, I'm assuming they do. Well, because they
1: do like four, they do three teams and honorable mentions. I
0: I would say second and third team. Okay. Um, for, I All mean, right. I mean, I think first team would be the next year because I think they would come back as maybe the best one-two linebacking punch in the ACC. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. I think if power, or, I mean, it would surprise me if Power Eccles got, you know, a first team, you know, selection just given the talent that does exist at linebacker in this conference with NC State and, and some other schools like that. But I, I feel like these two dudes are just. I think they're too. They're too talented to stay off the field. And I think once you get them on the field, you're going to have a really hard time taking them off the field. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've kind of compared them to the Bruce Carter Quan Sturt event. Um, You know, the the punch we
1: saw um, from those guys when Butch Davis was here. Oh, you are you you are digging these two dudes. You want these two on the field together? I mean, about as bad as anything.
0: Exactly. And I and I just I feel like. I think it's going to take Dilworth a little bit more time to. to I think he'll he'll have reps starting the season, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to be a really. It'll take him to maybe that Notre Dame game or so, to where it'll be kind of like it was with said Gray was last year, where it was just kind of we can't take this guy off the field, and I and I think the sky's looking for those two dudes. So I have Eccles being a second team All ACC, Dilworth being a third team All ACC.
1: Yeah, it's just it is, it is tough because you're talking about taking your leading tackler from a year ago off the field in Cedric Gray. So I mean. That's that's the only thing that I kind of struggle with a little bit there in terms these of are bold making predictions, all-ACC. Oh, I mean, just, no, you're right. You're I, just right.
0: Have, I just have the the finer, bold print
1: than you do. No, I mean, you're just you're just a lot more reckless than I am, and these could come back to bite you at the end of the season. I've got to make up for you making a fool of yourself to last be, year. So. Well, yeah, making a fool of myself last year. Here's the best part about that is that also, what was one of the other predictions that was on that list from a year ago? Wasn't it that, oh, that's right. Eugene Asante would lead the team with 115 total tackles. I, so, yeah. I think. Eh. Also, I think they, they may have been tied in there that he would be an All-ACC player. So there might be some concern about your faith in linebackers. But I also had a here.
0: correctable prediction that trumped it all. Which was? I thought they'd lose the season opener at Virginia Tech.
1: I don't know if that's something that you should be pounding your chest over. Oh, when it comes
0: to being right, I mean, when when it comes to being right or being fool yourself, of course you you are only
1: worried about being right. We all know that. We all know that. Um, So we'll move on. My fourth bowl prediction. Now, this one, I mean this this one's probably rather mild compared to even some of my other ones. I have Josh Dads finishes with fifteen hundred yards receiving and ten plus touchdowns. Now, 1,500 yards receiving, that's first a, of all. That's a lot of yardage. Yeah, he's first of all, he set the program record last year with 1,335 receiving. So, this will be another step up. Now, again, I think a lot of this, first of all, early in the season, his numbers are probably going to be through the roof again, no doubt, because they're going to need them to be through the roof if they're going to win games until Antoine Green can get back Unless somebody else is just going to emerge that quickly. We'll have to wait and see on that. Um, The 10 touchdowns is also probably a little bit bold because remember, first eight games of last year, he scored a touchdown in every single one of those games. Mm -hmm. Down the stretch of the season, or no, it was the first seven, I believe, he scored a touchdown in. Um, But down the stretch of the season, final six games of the year, didn't find the end zone. So, that that's the thing is, can the move to the outside, can that actually sort of free him up? I think it does. I think being able to move out there and create more of those one-on-one matchups does. And I think he can get to that 1,500-yard receiving mark, and he can get to that 10-plus touchdown mark this season for Carolina and take that next step.
0: Yeah, and I mean, look, if if he does that, he will bring my bold prediction to life, which is I predict he will win the Belichick Award, which is saying something when you consider the likes of the talented receiver at Ohio State, Jack, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba's back, uh, USC, you know, with the transfer of Jordan Addison out there. But I, I, I feel like I feel like he last year wasn't a fluke, and I think he carried the burden of that offense all season long. So I think he's up to doing the task once again, and I feel like. Uh, Phil Longo will be more creative with him to get him the ball in more situations to put the ball in the end zone. And um, I do think he would take home the Belenikoff Award for Tar Heel,
1: for the Tar Heels this year. Yeah, I mean, look, that's, that's definitely bold just because of the amount of guys that you have around college football. Because, I mean... Smith and Jigba's got to be the favorite, right? I mean, this dude had—that's the best it, receiver I've ever seen. I mean, this and this, they had this a guy this year. guy had like what, like four thousand yards receiving in the bowl game? Like this dude's this dude's unbelievable. Great and, name too. I mean, that's the thing. So I mean, are we going to see? I I agree. First of all. Is, are there actually people that are saying last year was a fluke for Josh Downs? Because please tell me who those people are. That, if you can't look at the way, just some of the plays that he made last year and not tell that this guy is special, and even, I mean, you could say whatever you want about this Tar Heel defense, but, I mean, if you go back and watch the spring game, it, it just looked easy for him. I mean, it was just, it, he is such a special player that he makes practice look simple. And there are a few guys that can do that day in and day out. I mean, Matt Brown was saying it, it was a couple of Saturdays ago. I think it was the first scrimmage that they had. They actually had to take him off the field because he burned a couple of guys twice because they, they just didn't have guys that could stay with him. So it's, that is how special this guy is. So, yeah, I think it's more than possible. It's just there are some other guys around college football that are just as good, if not a little bit better than him. And guess what? There is nothing wrong with that. Carolina's still got a special receiver. Speaking of the receivers, this is my last bold prediction. By the way, as you can tell, not wanting to get overly bold with the defense at this point. I think true freshman Andre Green Jr. will be this team's second leading receiver this year. You know, look, the hype has cooled off with him from the first week or so of fall camp, we haven't heard as much of about him here over the last couple of weeks. But there's still those tidbits that mac brown that Mac Brown likes to drop in, and I'm interested to hear if he threw one of those in again today. But you just anytime his name is brought up, you hear about how special he is, the types of catches that this young man is making. He seems like he is already ahead of the curve as a summer enrollee, true freshman. And we've talked about it. The learning curve at those skill positions are not as steep as it is in the trenches. So if if you're saying, well, look, some of the five-star, why is a guy like Travis Shaw not going to be someone that can have a huge season, but a guy like Andre Green Jr., who was a four-star while Shaw was a five-star, does. Well, it's completely different. First of all, Shaw, 355 pounds, he's got to get down from that to be able to play down there. But you're also talking about, you know, it's it's a little easier to learn those concepts on the outside. It's not as physical. It's not based off of what you do in the weight room out there. So I think he he has more than enough opportunity, especially early on in the season before Antoine Green comes back, to really establish himself. And I think, you know, is, I, I, we heard some things about Kobe Paysour, but we haven't heard a ton about him as we've gotten closer and closer to the season. So is he a guy that's ready to explode? I've seen some good things, you know, just from the highlight films coming out of the scrimmages and practices. Looks like Gavin Blackwell's doing some good things as well. But is he the guy that's really ready to take over that position? I don't know, and I think if you're leaving the door open for a guy that's as talented as this, for a guy that can go up and win the 50-50 balls, which was something that Carolina struggled with a year ago, I think that this could allow him to jump in and take one of those starting spots pretty early on. And if he does that... I think it's more than possible he's the second leading receiver behind Downs.
0: My last bold prediction I think will be a big part of if Carolina goes bowling or not this, this upcoming season. And I've kind of wrestled all offseason if I thought this team was going to make a bowl game or not just because I think there are, there's a lot of questions around this team as we've entered, as we've deemed a crossroads season for Mac Brown in Chapel Hill. But like my host here, I homered up. About damn time! I've got I've got the team making a bowl game. Wow! And a big reason why that's homering up. Uh, Gee, yeah, because I don't I, I don't know necessarily if if they if they if this is a bowl, it's a bowl roster talent. It should be, it should be a bowl. But the fact team. that we're There's asking, no doubt, the fact that making a bowl game in year four, if we take it as a success for Mac Brown, kind of shows you how underwhelming his tenure's been. But I do think. This year for the first time since Mac Brown came back, they'll beat Notre Dame and Pittsburgh. And I think those will be two swing games that if they can win those games, they've played them both very tough. Um, of course they played Notre Dame at home during the pandemic season. Tight in the first half, got worn down in the second half last year, went blow for blow with that team in South Bend. Um just till Till til, till that run by Kyron Williams, that, that really just derailed the whole thing. And then thing. Pittsburgh, they've, they've played them twice, both on Thursday nights, both in games they lost in overtime. And both games, you could make the argument that Carolina beat themselves more than Pittsburgh beat them. Mm. And so I think Carolina will correct those because those games in Chapel Hill, I don't think Notre Dame's going to be all that good. I think we'll see that week one when Ohio State beats them by three touchdowns or Pre- more.
1: Preseason AP top five team yeah. somehow.
0: Um, and and for Pittsburgh, I mean, I I like them. I think Pat Narduzzi has built, you know, maybe right now the best program in the in in the coastal side of the ACC. That's not you, saying much. Give Mario Cristobal time, but I do feel like that game oh, being in there there Chapel go. You're Hill, you're homer up for Miami over mm-hmm. there. I think that game being in Chapel Hill leads leads to our favor, and I do think Carolina. Beats those two teams for the, for the first time under Mac Brown and will be a big reason why
1: this team does achieve a bowl game this season. Well, first of all, if they beat both of those teams, they should be in the hunt, if not the favorite, to win the Coastal. There is no doubt in my mind because other than that, then, then if you're talking about what decides the Coastal, it should be that game against Miami. Mm-hmm. The other wild card would, of course, be the game at the end of the season against NC State. Other than that, if you're beating Notre Dame and Pittsburgh, you should beat everybody else on your schedule. I don't think Notre Dame's that good. I don't okay, think, I don't but think they're who are top five who, good? Who are the other teams on that schedule that you think are better than that team? Do you think Virginia's better than that team? I think Miami's better than us. Okay, but I just pointed out that that would be NC the game. I think NC State's better than we down. are. Okay, so that's two right there. Okay, if you're if you are six and two in conference, right? Still, right on that, right. Next year's when they shift conferences, yes. So or shift conference scheduling. Um, at that rate, I, and again, like I said, I think that puts you in the hunt. I think it would come down to what happens in that Miami game, which Carolina's had some pretty decent success against Miami as a whole overall. Um, but I think both of those games, because. Other than, if you can beat, because as you mentioned, Pittsburgh right now outside of Miami is the standard in the Coastal, or they might be ahead of Miami as the standard in the Coastal. I can't figure you out because you love Mario Cristobal and you want them to be a national program again. They're going to be. But I I, I think right now, yeah, you'd probably give the edge to Pittsburgh just because you don't. you don't know, You have to see it on the field until Miami before. No, I no, Miami I.
0: I, I have Miami making the ACC title game,
1: right? But I'm saying in terms of heading into the season right now, where if you're ter- if you're talking about the most stable program in the ACC, it's it's Pittsburgh until Miami shows it on the field and can prove the stability. So, if you're beating that team, and you're beating Notre Dame, which look, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be. Anywhere close to a top-five team this year. I think that's a team that's probably 9-3 and at best, probably 8-4. and I have a lot of questions about them. I I, I mean, who are the other teams outside of State and Miami that you're going to lose to? App State. Okay, that's an at-a-conference game, so that wouldn't matter in terms of the Coastal. But honestly, if you're taking them to beat Notre Dame and Pittsburgh, they shouldn't lose to App State.
0: They shouldn't, but it's a different game and different environment.
1: It doesn't matter. That's a group of five team you, you, that you if, lost to on your home field three years ago. That's a better and, team now than it was and three you were, years ago. You were a seven and six team that wasn't really in the hunt for the coastal. And you, so, so I, I don't. I mean, I preface that by saying because those games are at home. So you, you would have these two teams, them beating these two teams, but probably finishing seven and five. I could. Would that not be the most Carolina football thing of all time? I mean, at that point. Are you still looking to move on? Are, are you still looking at to see if the, the direction of this program is right? You would probably have to to question it. I, because if you're losing, first of all, if you can beat Pittsburgh and Notre Dame but lose, what, at home to Virginia Tech? I think that's going to – Virginia Tech's going to be a different team this year. Don't know how good they're going to be. They're coming into Keenan. If you don't win that game, that's one of the ones that don't make should coming be.
0: Coming into Keenan is, is going to be –
1: Look at the record of the team at home the last few years. Remember, they only lost one game last year at home. It's it's
0: not this environment
1: that that scares people. It's not an environment that scares people, but it's a team that has consistently played about as well as anybody in the country under Mac Brown at home.
0: Well, outside of the teams that haven't lost at home in the last three years. I said
1: one of the best teams, I didn't say the best
0: team. Well, you said with one of. Yes, I didn't like say four, the, five or six schools that haven't lost a home game since Mac Brown came back.
1: Who are those? Name those off if they haven't lost home games. What? I think Bama, Clemson, maybe Ohio State is up there. Clemson's the obvious one because they haven't lost in what is it like thirty six games or something like that right, at home. Right there's three. You already did have the math, but I don't. But see, I don't know. Did Ohio State lose it? I don't remember the last time they lost at home. I'm I'm not saying But I'm saying They well, Dame, They have Notre is gonna be
0: A top 20-ish team I don't think When the season's done Pittsburgh's gonna be A ranked football team
1: So you think Virginia Tech Is better than Both of those teams No but This is gonna be A different Virginia Tech team They've got It to- does But you should beat that team, there's there a are, lot of teams that there we should are other beat games, that we don't beat. So Virginia would be another one, I guess. On the road, you'd probably think they'd lose that game.
0: They did the last time in a, I, in a game mean, that we thought
1: we it, they should have won. That, no question. If they're if they beat Notre Dame and Pittsburgh and they don't beat Virginia Tech, then I mean, there are a ton of concerns moving moving forward. That's a game cuz that that then goes back to basically the 2020 season of you're winning some big games, but you're also losing a game. Now, granted, those ones were on the road. And to me, if you lose, if you won these two games at home and then lost to a team like Virginia Tech or Georgia Tech at home, it'd be the same as losing at home. To I Florida mean, that State would be last year. unbelievably stunning. But that team wasn't heading in the right direction even at that point. You could tell, honestly, we knew that was going to happen last year. We said that going into that game a year ago. This one, if you beat Notre Dame and then turn around, and lose to Virginia Tech, man, that's going to be a tough one to recover from. So my thinking is, if you beat Notre Dame and Pittsburgh, then you, my my expectation, if you're telling me that those two are wins, you're going in the future telling me those are wins, It's well, they better be competing for the ACC Coastal title at that rate, or there are a lot of questions about where this program is going if they just consistently keep falling flat on their face, or just after lower big wins or whatever,
0: expectations for a program who hasn't won a, a conference title in 42 years. What's the expectation supposed
1: to be? Five and seven, six and six every year? Make a bowl game. Go seven and five you and You just said four. that wasn't good enough, though. No, I didn't. Yes. You said that's not good enough for Mac Brown and this staff. So that's the thing. You should have expectations. You should, with the talent that you're bringing in. You should have expectations. Making a bowl game is not good enough for the talent that is being brought in. And I mean, if you're going this bold to predict those two wins, then you but should I, probably believe that this is a team that should be playing. Not when I come in the back final and week say that
0: I don't think those teams are as good as their preseason rankings
1: say they are. So what? You still have them, but but you have them as better. You so all, right now. Going into this season, do you think that Notre Dame and Pittsburgh are better teams than Virginia Tech? Yes. Do you think that they are better teams than Georgia Tech? Yes. So those are two should be wins. You think but they're the, better? Do those you were, think they're those better? Were should
0: be wins last year. Do you year and think they they're weren't. better?
1: Do you think they're better than Virginia? So, the, but my thing is, why do you have confidence? So you should have no confidence that they're going to beat I've any of these. I just made teams. a bold prediction that they would beat two teams that
0: are highly overrated entering the season. Because and lose going,
1: to teams that are extremely That's underrated. what we do. That's who we are. Not at home. like that Not is, recently. Look at the recent past. They lost at home to Florida State last season. Who was pretty much as good as they were a year ago. If you go back at the end of the year, who was really that much better? So now you're justifying who they lost to at home? I'm not justifying who they lost to. That was a a terrible loss a year ago. But that was also a team that, as we're starting to hear now, frankly did not care and has not cared. Now, this year's team, you would hope that they would learn from that.
0: We'll find out after App State if they lose the game, which is, hate to break it to you fans, a real possibility.
1: It's the biggest game in... One of the biggest games in program history. If they lose that game, it can set the stage. First of all, if they lose that game, they will not win either one of these games that you talked about here. They will If they lose to App State, they will not recover in three weeks and beat Notre Dame at home. They will get steamrolled because at that rate, most people will, If especially if they struggle bad enough, most people will probably have them losing to Georgia State the next week on the road which is apparently as we've heard a tough environment <laughs> so i don't know it's it's interesting um you know i i toyed around with the with the notion that Notre Dame would be one that i would pick but as i said i mean look th- this is a team that as you get closer and closer to the season and as you look more and more at the numbers from Gene Shizik his first time that he was here and really just his numbers everywhere else This is a team that should factor into the ACC coastal race this season. Heading into the final two weeks, they should be right there unless Miami just runs away with it or Pittsburgh, although I'm not seeing that. I'm not quite as low. There was one of our hosts here on the station that we work at yesterday actually said, I was listening to it on my ride home, said that Pittsburgh has no quarterback. That's not quite the truth. Keaton Slovis actually did some pretty solid things as a freshman. Um, I have a little more belief than that, but I do think that Carolina should certainly factor into the race in the ACC Coastal this season. They've got enough talent to do it, and it starts on August 27th. And as I mentioned, we're going to have you guys covered on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. We're going to have the articles up for this, uh, bowl predictions. uh, That'll be up there. We'll go a little more in depth on our specific predictions. Breakout candidates will also be up there. We'll also have that podcast edition. As we mentioned, we referenced that a couple of times here. Again, we had to swap those uh, in terms of when we were wanting to put those up on the podcast feed because we had to add this tidbit in at the front of this one about British Brooks. We wanted to do that for you guys. So... Uh, make sure you check out that edition that'll come out later. But those articles will be going up, and then that's right, we will come down the home stretch of the preseason, get you ready for the game with the preview, and then have you guys covered uh, on August 27th with the recap, and then the following days we'll have the trench report, the stock report, all that great stuff. We'll be coming to you guys, heel tough blog. Dot com. Uh, make sure that you guys uh, check out the social media pages as well. That's the best place to check out that as well as the podcast editions all in one central location at HeelToughBlog on Facebook, at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. Also check out our personal pages at HTB Anthony for me, at HTB underscore Josh for him, and at HackZubber2 for Zach Hubbard who is going to be called upon here soon. you got some guys as the high school football season gets ready to begin. Actually, later on this week, uh, there are going to be a couple of guys that are going to pull the trigger on their their commitments, um, and then you're also going to have a guy later on next week, actually middle of next week, that is going to announce his commitment as well. That's also a big-time target for Carolina. So we will have some recruiting talk coming up for you guys. Make sure you're keeping an eye out for that. Uh, And uh, make sure you're doing that wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're a listener, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate the rate and review. That helps us to sort of move up some of those uh, rankings and be noticed by more people on those apps uh, that haven't found us just yet. And when you subscribe... That's for you guys so that you make sure you don't miss an edition of the podcast. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Target.